Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here today. We have a pretty good crowd for being out of church for so long, out of the church building. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be back with you and share with you today. And I'm grateful that you made it. I want you to understand that. And I'm grateful for those that uh, are not here but want to be here, but they just feel like they couldn't make it. They feel like maybe they're Uh, immune system is a little weakened and they don't want to take the chance and I understand that. I have uh, elderly in-laws and so I know what that's about and I can appreciate them wanting to take care of themselves because I certainly wouldn't want them to get sick. So I'm appreciative of the opportunity of being here. I need to turn this, this mic on, don't I? Is it on? It's green. I guess it's on, so we're, we're doing good. All right, um, turn in your Bibles, if you will, and we'll get started this morning with today's message. Uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 20. We're going to take a look at this passage and draw a few things out of here uh, to talk to you this morning about uh, your church, about being the church, about uh, doing what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, what I want to do is share with you about um, making this church a great church. We have all, most every church I know of is going through the same thing that Waynesville is going through of trying now to come back together to rebuild and to get things going again. And folks, this message will uh, hopefully be an encouragement to you about what to do tomorrow and the next day, the next month, next year in building up and developing uh, the church. And so the title of today's message is Your Church, Your Responsibility. This is your church. It's your responsibility. Now folks, listen. I understand that this is the Lord's church. By possession, He owns this church. But... From the standpoint of you belonging to the church, you investing your time, your energy, and that kind of stuff, it's your church. And because it's your church, you have a responsibility to help this church to become everything that it should become. And so as we think about that concept, your church, your responsibility, I want you to understand that the whole premise of the church is that Jesus Christ must be Lord of your life and also the life of this church. There was a story I read about Tuscanini. He was leading a great orchestra in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. At the conclusion, they were so thrilled, the, the, the audience was so thrilled, they stood and gave him a standing ovation. And he looked out over the, uh, the audience and then turned back to his orchestra with a stern look on his face and he said, I am nothing. He's talking to the orchestra now. He says, I am nothing. He said, you are nothing. Beethoven is everything. Now folks, I disagree with that because I don't think Beethoven is everything. I don't know that Beethoven ever walked on water. Amen. But I do understand that Jesus Christ is everything. And what we need to do is understand uh, that we need to be grateful not for the way that the world judges things. because You know the world judges things with with, uh, beauty and brawn and budgets and bucks. 
That's the way the world judges everything. But God doesn't judge in the same way. What God does is He understands that He is in charge, He is in control, and He is the one who's working everything out. Now listen, we're living in a day where we have what I call cafeteria-style Christianity. In other words, people pick and choose what they want out of Christianity rather than taking Christianity as a whole. And when they pick and choose, then they'll find fault with this and find fault with that, find fault with this other. And folks, I want you to understand, you cannot say that Jesus Christ is your Savior and say, well, I don't want any lordship. I don't want to let Him run my life. The truth of the matter is, if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, notice the Lord Jesus Christ, that means you give Him the right to run your life. Now, there's a lot of folks who don't agree with that, but I'm sorry. The point is that for every time in the Bible that uh, Jesus is called Savior, 11 times He's called Lord. So which is more important as far as us understanding what Jesus Christ is trying to do in our lives. So we have this casual conversion that ushers forth in a carnal Christianity. And that's one of the problems that we have in, in the church, the whole church today, where people are not taking a stand and not living for the gospel like they're supposed to. Amen? Now, folks, I don't mean to be ugly, but you can't have a fire insurance from the eternal lake of fire and to refuse Jesus the right to control your life. It just doesn't work. Because if all Jesus wanted to do was save you to get you to heaven, you wouldn't have to go through all of the things that you go through to come to know Him as personal Savior. You wouldn't have to repent. You wouldn't have to ask Him to save you because it would be a done deal. But what God wants is you to be a, a, a mimic of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit has taken great pains in the Scripture to uh, tell us all about the Lord Jesus. Um, the Bible teaches us that He went to the kingdom of astronomy and said, Jesus is the bright and morning star. He went to the kingdom of botany and said, Jesus is the tree of life. The Holy Spirit went to the mineral kingdom and said, Jesus is the rock of ages, and Jesus is the pearl of great price. The Bible says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the bread of life, the Christ, the Deliverer, the Day Star, the Everlasting God, the Friend of Friends, the God of Grace, the God of Glory the healer, the helper, the incarnate one, the infinite one, the just and the justifier, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the name that is above every name, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, omni-righteous God. He is the redeemer, the resurrection and life. He is the savior, the truth, and many, many more. So what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that Jesus Christ as Lord of this church wants you to make this church everything it can be. This is your church and it's your responsibility. Let us stand and honor the reading of God's Word, if you will, in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 18. 
We're going to look at verses 18 through 21. Then we're going to look at verse 28. And then again, we're going to look at verse 35. So in verse 18 of Acts chapter 20, the Bible says, And when they were come to him and said unto them, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Then down in verse 28, the Bible says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. And then over in verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Heavenly Father, take these moments that we have today and speak to our hearts. Encourage us in our faith. And certainly, Father, deal with us in the way that you need to deal with us. So bless us and we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, folks, I want you to understand that what Paul is doing in this passage of Scripture is encouraging the church at Ephesus as he is going to Jerusalem. It's his last time to be with the church of Ephesus. And he's encouraging the church of Ephesus to be everything they can be. To do the work. To simply uh, get on with it because he has shown them, he says, by being with them and teaching them one-on-one, if you will, how they can be a good church. So as I looked through this and I thought about the days in which we are living, what can I say to you that would encourage you in the same way the Apostle Paul encouraged this church of Ephesus? And I found four things that I want to share with you. Number one, I believe that what the Apostle Paul was doing was telling the church, you need to attend church. Now, I know there are folks at home who can't be here. But you know, the truth of the matter is, we still need to attend church when we're able to come to church. Can you hear an amen? Amen. Now, I'm grateful for those of you that are here, but if we're going to develop the church and be the church that God wants us to be, we have got to do the work in order to get get it done. You may have heard this little poem. It says, Ten little churchmen went to church when fine, but it started raining, and then there were nine. Nine little churchmen stayed up very late, One overslept and then there were eight. Eight little churchmen on the road to heaven. One joined the hunting club and then there were seven. Seven little churchmen heard of the Sunday flicks. One thought he would go and then there were six. Six little churchmen kept the place alive. One bought a bass boat and then there were five. Five little churchmen seemed loyal to the core. The pastor upset one of them and then there were four. Four little churchmen argued and never could agree. They shouted and fussed and then there were three. Three little churchmen sang the service through, got a hymn they didn't know and then there were two. 
Two little churchmen disputed who, who should run, who should run the, next the next church business meeting, and then there was one. One faithful churchman, knowing what to do, got a friend to come to church, and then there were two. Two sincere churchmen, each brought one more, so their number doubled, and then there were four. Four sturdy churchmen simply couldn't wait till they found four others, and then there were eight. Eight eager churchmen searching round for souls, working, praying, witnessing, drew others in by the shoals. Shoals and shoals at every service, cramming every pew. Oh, God supply this grace and zeal to our church too. Amen. Amen. Now folks, that simply explains the modern church. I mean, there's all kinds of issues that people can find to not go to church. But the truth is, it takes an effort to get up on Sunday morning, to get a shower, to get dressed, to make it to church. Now, if you can't, remember, there's a difference between can't and won't. Amen? So you need to attend the church personally, and you need to attend church consistently. If you don't come to church, you know what you're missing? You're missing the fellowship. You're missing the encouragement. You're missing the, the building up of one another, the helping of one another. You're missing that interaction that God intended for the church to have as a building of the body of Christ. The, the truth of the matter is, when we get back to, it won't ever be normal, I don't think, but get back to normal as can be, you need to go to Sunday school. You need to be in worship. You need to serve. You need to do all the things you know you're supposed to be doing. Folks, you will never get out of church more than you put in. And so the point is that you need to go to church. I realize during COVID-19 there are some folks who can't come. I understand that. But for those who are sitting at home because they didn't want to come, it's so easy to lay out one Sunday and then it gets easier every Sunday as it goes along if you don't have a heart to go to church. Now folks, I can tell you uh, there are some people that will be uh, listening to this message, watching this message today that will be in that boat where they've laid out and laid out and laid out and they just got out of the habit of going to church and they won't go. Now, folks, I want to encourage you that are here Keep on doing that. Be loving and kind as these folks get back in church and help them to attend church. Can I hear an amen? amen? So number one, Paul says there in verse 18, I have been with you. Attend church. How Have you been here? Will you be here? That's the issue. The second principle I want to bring up is found in verse 20, and that is that we need to commend our church. If you look at verse 20, he says, I kept back nothing that was profitable. Hello. We need to commend our church. That's the whole point. The point is this. You need to commend it with your living. The way you live. The way you treat people. The way that you uh, do things. The way that you act, the way that you respond, it's about the way you live, your daily living and letting the Lord flow through you to impact other people. Commend it with your living. Commend it with your language. Proverbs chapter 18. 
in verse 21 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can kill somebody's spirit just with the wrong thing that you said. You can speak and you can hurt. You can destroy people with your mouth. The tongue, James says, is set on fire with the fires of hell. It's sharp. It cuts. It's like uh, the tongue can't be controlled. Well, folks, it can be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need to allow the Lord to help you because there are negative people and there are positive people. And there are negative words and there are positive words. And what we need to do is commend the church with our language. What we say about the church, how we talk about the church, how we talk about the people in the church, encouraging words, positive words. You say, well, I find that this guy did this and this did that. Pastor did this and this. Folks, those are non-essentials in most cases. And so you need to be positive and really build up your church. Commend it with your love. You know as well as I do that time and again in the New Testament, Jesus said, love one another. Love one another. And love does not mean a squishy-wishy feeling on the inside. It is looking out after the best interest of other people. So love them with God's kind of love. Commend it with your looks. What do you mean by that? I can't help the way I look, preacher. I didn't say you could. But what I mean is, what kind of a vision do you have for Waynesville Baptist Church? Where do you want this church to be a year from now? Five years from now? Ten years from now if the Lord tarries? Having a vision for the things of God for this church, that's what I'm talking about. What is your viewpoint that you have for this church? Commend it with your limitations. What do you mean by that? Friend, you can't do it all. There's not one person in this building that can do everything in this church. I've got pastor friends of mine that uh, sometimes they have to try to do everything in the church because there's folks that won't step up to the plate. But folks, listen, listen to me. We all have a part in the body of Christ. If you're saved, you've been gifted, and God wants you to use that gift for His glory. So step up to the plate. Just ask, what can I do? What can I do? If it don't fit, then find something else. Do something else. For example, if you say, what can I do? They said, oh, we want you to teach the nursery. And you're about 88 years old and you uh, try it for two Sundays and it about kills you and you say, I just can't do this. You can find something else to do. Let somebody else teach the nursery. But the point is, if you don't get active, then you're going to uh, let inertia take over and inertia will do whatever you're doing. So if you're moving, it'll keep you moving. If you're sitting, it'll keep you sitting. And so folks, listen to me, everybody has limitations. You can't do it all. Do what you can do and see God get the glory for it. So, attend the church. That's one of the responsibilities you have. Commend the church, another responsibility that you have. And in the third place, defend the church. What do you mean? Well, take a look at verse 29 and 30 real quick. Verse 29 says, 
I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw disciples after them. Folks, the truth of the matter is, because we are an accepting group called the church, we accept folks, sometimes the devil uses people in the church. That's not something we like to admit. But the truth of the matter is, I have been a pastor for over 40 years, and sometimes the devil has more opportunity in the church than he does at Walmart. And so I want to just caution you that, uh, yes, do everything you can, but you need to defend your church. When somebody starts running it down, you need to build it up. And it's not based on your opinion, my friends. It's based on the Word of God. In other words, you need to defend it from destructive problems. In the day in which we live, we have religious trends going around about the church. Let me call a few, uh, few of them to your attention. There is what's called postmodernism. There is the emerging church. I don't know if you've heard of those or not, but those are trends within Christianity. We heard all the time about liberalism and that sort of thing. Folks, we need to be biblical. And we need to make sure that we are biblical in our position, in our stance, and we don't need to kind of go with the flow of all of the fads and the isms and the trends that are out there. We can learn a few things from everything. But don't get caught up in trying to be like this church or that church or the other church. Be the church God wants you to be. Otherwise, it will be a destructive influence. Error will creep in, and when error creeps in, evil will creep in. Next thing you know, you've got grumbling and griping and fussing and fighting, and that ought not ever be in the church. God did not give us a contentious spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And so what we need to do is we need to defend it from destructive problems and from destructive people. I don't know about you, but as a pastor for, for 40 years plus, I can guarantee you I have had people chew me up one side and down the other just because of the stand that I take. But folks, I want you to understand that when people have a problem with a person living for Jesus, on fire for God, doing what God wants them to do, those folks are usually defeated themselves. They're usually discouraged. They're often disobedient from the things of God. They are detractors from what God is trying to do. And so these people have some problems and some issues. And we need to understand this. That negative people need help. But do you realize that often those negative people will not allow us to help them? They want to continue in that negativism, continue in that ditch that they have fallen in. Uh, do you remember in the book of Mark chapter 3 when Jesus healed the paralytic? He says in that passage of Scripture, the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against Him, how they might destroy Him. But Jesus withdrew Himself with His disciples to the sea. There's a principle in there that many people miss. And that is this. That Jesus withdraws from fault finders. 
So when people are out to destroy that which God is trying to do, remember that that is not coming from the Lord. Now that was a negative thing in the sermon. I'm convinced of this. There is no Bible preaching that has any kind of power to make an impact on a person's heart that does not have positive and negative. Just like your car battery, if it doesn't have a positive and negative, there is no power. Well, that's the way the, the gospel is. The gospel says repent and receive. And so there's a negative about the sin, but there's a positive about the Savior. And so it's positive and negative. And I just had to deal with the, with the negative. But I want to encourage you, defend your church. Defend your church. That's one of the responsibilities that you have. So you need to attend the church. You need to commend your church. You need to defend your church. But one last thing that I want to share with you that I found in this passage of Scripture is found in verse 35. I want you to look at verse 35, the end of verse 35. The Bible says there, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So what I want to encourage you to do is to extend your church. Extend it. Extend it. What does that mean? Well, that simply means we need to get the job done and get out there and uh, let folks know who we are and where we are. I mean, it's very simple. I mean, you're going to run up against all kinds of people that are negative and they don't want to hear it, but don't let that deter you. Uh, let me give you an, uh, an illustration that's one of my favorites. There was a barber of a small town, and he used to uh, be the most negative person in that town. And so there was a man that went in to get a haircut one day, and they were chit-chatting, and the barber says, well, what you, what you been doing? He said, I, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm planning on taking a trip to Rome to go see the Pope. And the barber, being negative as he was, he said, well, I sure hope you're not going to fly TWA. He says, and the man said, well, why not? He said, because TWA is the worst airlines out there. Uh, the TWA, they'll lose your luggage. They won't even know that you've been registered. I mean, it's just a terrible airline. When you're flying, the stewardesses don't take care of you. And he went on and ran TWA down. He went on. And kept on talking to the man. And the man said, well, I'm going to go over and I'm going to see the Pope. And, and there are going to be a bunch of people there, but I'm going to see the Pope. And the man said, yeah. said, there are going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people over there. And you're not even going to get to see the Pope. I don't know why in the world you want to go to Rome this time of the year anyway. It stinks this time of the year. It's a terrible place this time of year. So the man got his hair cut and left. Several weeks later, he came back for another haircut. And when he got in the barber chair, the barber chair, the barber says, I sure hope you didn't go over there to Rome to see the Pope. And the man said, well, I just certainly did. I took that trip and I want to let you know I flew TWA. He said, that is a wonderful airline. They didn't lose my luggage. The stewardesses were the nicest you could ever imagine. And everybody was so helpful. It was just a wonderful airline. He said, okay. He said, well, I bet you didn't get to see the Pope. He said, there was something else I wanted to talk to you about. He said, uh, we were there, and by the way, the place smelled like flowers. It was a beautiful place. And we were all standing out there together, and all of a sudden, a man came up and tapped me on the shoulder. I turned and looked at him, and he said, sir, come with me. 
He said, I didn't know what I had done. Our secret service was coming to get me or something. So I followed him and I was sure I was going to be taken back into police headquarters or something. He said, but no, he took me in to uh, see the Pope himself. And when I walked into the room, walked in the room, the Pope was sitting there, and I said, "Well, hey there, brother Pope, how are you?" <laughs> and the man said, "You mean to tell me, out of all of those thousands and thousands and thousands of people, the Pope wanted to see you?" The man said, "That's right." He said, "Now, why in the world would the Pope want to do that?" And the man said, "I couldn't figure that out either. Out of all those people, why me?" So I asked the Pope why he wanted to see me. And you know what the Pope said? The Pope said, I looked out over that mass of people and he said, one thing struck me. He said, I spotted you almost immediately because you have the worst haircut I have ever seen in my life. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but folks, the truth of the matter is there are some people that are out there that are going to not allow you to extend the church, to help them to come to terms with the fact that they need the Lord, they need to be in church. But you still, in spite of that, you still need to be committed to people. Just because somebody turns you down, you still need to be committed. There was an election one time, and an outsider won the election. He was a nobody. Nobody knew him, but he won the election. And so the uh, chairman of the election board was asked, why do you think it was that this outsider won the election? He says, because that man went house to house, door to door, and spoke to almost everybody in the county. Committed to people. Going out there and doing what God wants us to do. Andrew Murray one time said, you are either a backslider or a soul winner. And that is true. We're either backslidden or we are in uh, doing what we can to reach people with the gospel. That is our job. There was a Baptist one time that had a lady come to his house every Saturday morning and knock on the door. When he went to the door, he would find literature there on the door. Well, he got kind of upset about this, and so he went to his pastor and told his pastor, this lady keeps coming to my house and leaving literature, and I'm sick and tired of it. And the pastor told him, said, well, you know those folks, they don't believe in the Pledge of Allegiance. Those folks don't uh, salute the U.S. flag. And those folks don't sing the national anthem. So the next time she comes, you just strike up a conversation about those and they'll be gone. Well, this guy was an ex-Marine big strapping ex-marine he got this idea he says so they don't like the flag and the pledge of allegiance he went out and he got the pledge of allegiance on a big card he found the music to the uh, national anthem and uh, he got the constitution a big copy of the front page of the constitution and put it up on the wall and he was ready for this lady. So when she knocked on the door, she said, he, she, he grabbed her hand and drug her in the house. And when he drug her in the house, he said, now, ma'am, we're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And stuck that Pledge of Allegiance in her hand and 
They said the Pledge of Allegiance. This woman did and him. Then he says, I hope you know there's the Constitution and I'll tell you what else we're going to do. We're going to salute the flag of the United States. And so he saluted. He said, now while we're saluting, and he hit the record player and the, 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 the Star Spangled, I mean the National Anthem Star Spangled Banner started and he said, let's sing. Oh, say can you And they sang the Star Spangled Banner. And then he, when it was over, he stopped and he said, Now, lady, what do you think about that? She said, Sir, in my 25 plus years as an Avon lady, I've never seen anything like that in my life. <laughs> what we need to do is extend the church. We need to get the message out that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. Folks, I want you to understand that we not only need to be committed to people, but we need to be committed to principle. What is the principle of the New Testament? May I share it with you? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and in verse 5, there is a phrase in that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5 says this, They first gave their own selves to the Lord. Do you see that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added. Uh, you remember the forgotten beatitude? We read it today. It's in Acts 20 and verse 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We got it in context now, don't we? That what we're supposed to be doing is the principle of the Christian life is to give of ourselves. Yeah, we need to give of our treasures. We need to tithe. Yes, I believe in tithing. We need to give to the Lord. A man came to church one Sunday who wasn't a regular uh, tender and he listened to the sermon. Sermon was over and as he was going through the door, he said, Preacher, said all you Christians ever talk about, especially you preachers, is you take Christianity and bring it down to very simply give, give, give. Preacher said, thank you very much for the best description of Christianity I've ever heard. He said, because God gave His only Son that you might be saved, and Jesus gave his life that you could be saved and he gives you eternal life when you receive Christ as Savior. So thank you that Christianity is give, give, give. Well folks, the truth is God gave first of himself to us. So what do we do? We want to keep everything to ourselves. But we need to give our treasures to the Lord and the most treasured thing you have is you. Secondarily, give of your time to the Lord. Sometimes giving is spelled W-O-R-K. Sometimes giving is not something you can have tangible other than what you do. The Dead Sea is dead because all it ever does is receive, receive, receive. The Sea of Galilee, on the other hand, receives and gives. And there are fish abundant in the Sea of Galilee. 
And when a Christian, all they do is sit, soak, and sing songs, then all they're doing is receiving and not giving. And we need to give of ourselves, give of our time, give of our treasures. We need to give of our talents to the Lord. We need to give of our troubles to the Lord. Most folks will tell the Lord about their troubles, but they won't give them to Him. You've heard the old saying about the man who was, uh, during the invitation, was under conviction about some troubles, and he came down to the altar to pray about his difficulties. And he says, Lord, I lay my problems and difficulties on the altar. And then he got up, picked them up, and took them back to the seat with him. And that's what we do. We don't give our troubles to the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. We need to think about the Lord all the time. Our thoughts need to be on the Lord day in and day out. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And of course, we need to be grateful and thankful to the Lord. Amen? It's your church. It's your responsibility. So attend it. Commend it. Defend it. Extend it. I mean, that's about as simple as I can make it. If we do those things, then I can promise you that God is going to do a work here at Waynesville. I had walked life's way with an easy tread, had followed where comforts and pleasures led, until one day in a quiet place, I met the Master face to face. I had built my castles and reared them high, Till their towers pierced the blue of the sky, I swore I'd rule with an iron mace till I met the Master face to face. With station and rank and wealth for my goal, much thought for my body, but none for my soul. I had entered in to win in life's mad race when I met the Master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes full of sorrows were fixed on me. And I faltered and fell at his feet that day while my castles melted and vanished away. Melted and vanished, and in their place naught else did I see but the Master's face. And I cried aloud, Oh, make me meet to follow the steps of thy wounded feet. My thought is now for the souls of men. I have lost my life to find it again. Ere since one day in a quiet place, I met the Master face to face. There's two things. If you have never met the Master face to face, then folks, today needs to be the day that you do. If you've never received Christ as your personal Savior, you need to bow your head and you need to ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart and life. You're here today, you might need to come to the altar and pray. But also if you're saved, you need to understand that this message has been for you. It's been about how that you can be encouraged to help this church to be all that it needs to be. So would you please stand to your feet and I will pray and we will have the invitation. Our Heavenly Father, 
In the moments that we've had to preach, to share the Word of God, I am grateful that I was able to speak. But Father, more than that, I am grateful that the Holy Spirit has spoken. I'm grateful, Lord, that You have uh, touched hearts and lives as I looked at people in their eyes, as I looked at the heads nodding. I'm grateful, God, that You have done a work in this place. I simply do not know what you have said to each and every person at all. I know what you say to me, but Father, that's as far as it goes. But God, whatever you have done in the hearts and the lives of the people here in this building or the people through the, 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 the web, uh, I pray that, Father, that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would seal that movement of the Spirit of God in their life. And that, Father, you would bring fruition and it might very well be in this moment, at this time, that, God, that you would have your will to be done. So, Father, thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.